Chapter Six of Wolfbane by Frederick Pohl and C. M. Cornbluth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Glenn Tropile and his sobbing wife passed the night in the stubble of a cornfield. Neither of them slept much. Tropile, numbed by contact with the iron chill of the field, it would be months before the new sun warmed the earth enough for it to begin radiating in turn, tossed restlessly, dreaming. He was Wolf. Let it be so, he told himself again and again. I will be Wolf. I will strike back at the citizens. I will... Always the thought trailed off. He would exactly what? What could he do? Migration was an answer. Go to another city. With Gala, he guessed. Start a new life where he was not known as Wolf. And then what? try to live a sheep's life as he had tried all his years there was the question of whether in fact he could manage to find a city where he was not known the human race was migratory in these years of subjection to the never quite understood rules of the pyramids it was a matter of insulation when the new sun was young it was hot and there was plenty of warmth it was possible to spread north and south away from the final line of permafrost which in north america came just above the old mason dixon line when the sun was dying the cold spread down the race followed the seasons soon all of wheeling would be spreading north again and how was he to be sure that none of wheeling's citizens might not turn up wherever he might go he could be sure that was the answer to that all right scratch immigration what remained he could with gala he guessed live a solitary life on the fringes of cultivated land they both had some skill at rummaging the old storehouses of the ancients and there was still food and other commodities to be found but even a wolf is gregarious by nature and there were bleak hours in the night when tropile found himself close to sobbing with his wife at the first break of dawn he was up Gala had fallen into a light and restless sleep. He called her awake. We have to move, he said harshly. Maybe they'll get up enough guts to follow us. I don't want them to find us. Silently, she got up. They rolled and tied the blankets she had brought. They ate quickly from the food she had brought. They made packs and put them on their shoulders and started to walk. One thing in their favor, they were moving fast faster than any citizen was likely to follow all the same tropile kept looking nervously behind him they hurried north and east and that was a mistake because by noon they found themselves blocked by water once it had been a river the melting of the polar ice caps that had submerged the coast of the old continents had drowned it out and now it was salt water but whatever it was it was impassable they would have to skirt it westward until they found a bridge or a boat we can stop and eat tropile said grudgingly trying not to despair they slumped on the ground it was warmer now tropile found himself getting drowsier drowsier he jerked erect and stared around belligerently beside him his wife was lying motionless though her eyes were open gazing at the sky tropile sighed and stretched out a moment's rest he promised himself and then a quick bite to eat then onward he was sound asleep when they spotted him 
There was a flutter of the iron bird's wings from overhead. Tropile jumped up out of his sleep, awakening in panic. It was outside the possibility of belief, but there it was. In the sky over him, etched in black against the cloud, a helicopter, and men staring out of it, staring down at him. A helicopter? But there were no helicopters, or none that flew, if there had been fuel to fly them with, if any man had had the skill to make them fly. It was impossible. And yet there it was, and the men were looking at him, and the impossible great whirling thing was coming down, nearer. He began to run in the downward wash of air from the veins, but it was no use. There were three men, and they were fresh, and he wasn't. He stopped, dropping to a fighter's crouch that was preset into the human body, ready to do battle. The men didn't want to fight. They laughed, and one of them said amiably, Long past your bedtime, boy. Get in. We'll take you home. Tropile stood poised, hands half clenched. Take? Take you home, yeah. Where you belong, Tropile? Not back to Wheeling, if that's what you're worried about where i where you belong then tropile understood he got into the helicopter wonderingly home so there was a home for such as he he wasn't alone he needn't keep his solitary self apart he could be with his own kind he remembered gala tropile and paused one of the men said with a quick understanding your wife i think we saw her about a half a mile from here heading back to Wheeling as fast as she could go. Tropile nodded. It was better, after all. Gala was no wolf, though he had tried his best to make her one. One of the men closed the door. Another did something with levers and wheels. The vanes whooshed around overhead. The helicopter bounced on its stiff-sprung landing legs and then rocked up and away. For the first time in his life, Glenn Tropile looked down on the land. They didn't fly high, but Glenn Tropile had never flown at all, and the two or three hundred feet of air beneath him made him faint and queasy. They danced through the passes in the West Virginia hills, crossed icy streams and rivers, swung past old empty towns which no longer even had names of their own. They saw no one. It was something over four hundred miles to where they were going, one of the men told him. They made it easily before dark. As Tropile walked through the town in the evening light, electricity flared white and violet in the buildings around him. Imagine! Electricity was calories, and calories were to be hoarded. There were other walkers in the street. Their gait was not the economical shuffle with pendant arms. They burned energy visibly. They swung. They strode. It had been chiseled on his brain in earliest childhood that such walking was wrong, reprehensible, debilitating. It wasted calories. These people did not look debilitated, and they didn't seem to mind wasting calories. It was an ordinary sort of town, apparently named Princeton. It did not have the transient look to it of, say, Wheeling, or Altoona, or Gary, in Tropile's experience. It looked like, well, it looked permanent. Tropile had heard of a town called Princeton, but it happened that he had never passed through it, southwarding or northbound. 
There was no reason why he or anybody should or should not have. Still, there was a possibility, once he thought of it, that things were somehow so arranged that they should not, and maybe it was all on purpose. Like every town, it was underpopulated, but not so much so as most. Perhaps one living space in five was used, a high ratio. The man beside him was named Hendel, one of the men from the helicopter. They hadn't talked much on the flight, and they didn't talk much now. Eat first, Hendel said, and took Tropile to a bright and busy sort of food stall. Only it wasn't a stall. It was a restaurant. This Hendel, what to make of him? He should have been disgusting, nasty, an abomination. He had no manners whatever. He didn't know, or at least he didn't use, the seventeen conventional gestures. He wouldn't let Tropile walk behind him or to his left, though he was easily five years Tropile's senior. When he ate, he ate. The sip of apprehension, the pause of first surfeit, and the thrice pre-offered chair meant nothing to him. He laughed when Tropile tried to give him the elder's portion. Cheerfully patronizing, this man Hendel said to Tropile, That stuff's all right when you don't have anything better to do with your time. Those poor mutts don't. They die of boredom without their inky-pinky cults, and they didn't have the resources to do anything bigger. Yes, I know the gestures. Seventeen delicate ways of communicating emotions too refined for words. The hell with them, Tropile. I've got words. You'll learn them, too. Tropile ate in silence, trying to think. A man arrived, threw himself in a chair, glanced curiously at Tropile, and said, Handle the Somerville Road. The creek backed up when it froze. Flooded bad. Ruined everything. Tropile ventured, The flood ruined the road? The road? No. Say, you must be the fellow Handel went after. Tropile. That the name? He leaned across the table and pumped Tropile's hand. We had a road nicely blocked, he explained. The flood washed it clean. Now we have to block it again. Hendel said, Take the tractor if you need it. The man nodded and left. Hendel said, Eat up, we're wasting time. About that road. We keep all entrances blocked up, see? Why let a lot of sheep in and out? Sheep? The opposite, said Handel, of wolves. Take ten billion people, and say that, out of every million of them, one, just one, is different. He has a talent for survival. Call him Wolf. Ten thousand of him in a world of ten billion. Squeeze them, freeze them, cut them down. Let old rejoice in messiahs loom in the terrifying sky, and so abduct the earth that the human race is decimated, fractioned, reduced to what is in comparison a bare handful of chilled, stunned survivors. There aren't ten billion people in the world anymore. No, not by a factor of a thousand. Maybe there are as many as ten million, more or less, rattling around in the space their enormous elder generation made for them. And of these ten million, how many are wolf? Ten thousand. You understand, Tropile, said Hendel. We survive. I don't care what you call us. The sheep call us wolves. Me, I kind of call us supermen. We have the talent for survival. 
Tropile nodded and began to understand. The way I survived in the house of five regulations. Handel gave him a pitying look. The way you survived thirty years of sheephood before that. Come on. It was a tour of inspection. They went into a building, big, looking like any other big and useful building of the ancients. Gray stone walls, windows with ragged spears of glass. Inside, though, it wasn't like the others. Two sub-basements down, Tropile winced and turned away from the flood of violet light that poured out of a quartz bullseye on top of a squat steel cone. Perfectly harmless, Tropile. You don't have to worry, Handel boomed. Know what you're looking at? That's a fission reactor down there. Heat, power, all the power we need. Do you know what that means? He stared solemnly down at the flaring violet light of the inspection port. Come on, he said abruptly to Tropile. Another building, also big, also gray stone. A cracked inscription over the entrance read, Oral Hall of Humanities. The sense shock this time was not light, it was sound. Hammering, screeching, rattling, rumbling. Men were doing noisy things with metal and machines. Repair shop, Handel yelled. See those machines? They belong to our man Innocent. We have salvaged them from every big factory ruin we could find. Give Innocent a piece of metal, any alloy, any shape, and one of those machines will change it into any other shape and damn near any other alloy. Drill it, cut it, plane it, weld it, smelt it, zone melt it, bond it. You tell him what to do, and he'll do it. We got the parts to make six tractors and forty-one cars out of this shop, and we've got other shops. Aircraft in Farmingdale and Wichita, armaments in Wilmington. Not that we can't make some armaments here. Innocent can build you a tank if he had to, complete with a hundred and five millimeter gun. What's a tank? Tropile asked. Handel only looked at him and said, Come on. Glenn Tropile's head spun dizzily, and all the spectacles merged and danced in his mind. They were incredible. All of them. Fission pile, machine shop, vehicular garage, aircraft hangar. There was a storeroom under the seats of the football stadium, and Tropile's head spun on his shoulders again when he tried to count the cases of coffee and canned soup and whiskey and beans. There was another storeroom, only this one was called an armory. It was filled with guns. Guns that could be loaded with cartridges, of which they had very many. Guns which, when you loaded them and pulled the trigger, would fire. Tropile said, remembering, I saw a gun once that still had its firing pin, but it was rusted solid. These work, Tropile, said Handel. You can kill a man with them. Some of us have. Kill? Get that sheep look out of your eyes, Tropile. What's the difference how you execute a criminal? And what's a criminal but someone who represents a danger to your world? We prefer a gun instead of a donation of spinal tap, because it's quicker, because it's less messy, and because we don't like to drink spinal fluid, no matter what imaginary therapeutic or symbolic value it has. You'll learn. But he didn't add, come on. They had arrived where they were going. It was a small room in the building that housed the armory, and it held, among other things, a rack of guns. 
Sit down, said Handel, taking one of the guns out of the rack thoughtfully and handling it as the doomed Boyne had caressed his watch case. It was the latest pre-pyramid model rifle, anti-personnel, short range. It would not scatter a cluster of shots in a coffee can at more than two and a half miles. All right, said Handel, stroking the stock. You've seen the works, Tropile. You've lived thirty years with sheep. You've seen what they have and what we have. I don't have to ask you to make a choice. I know what you choose. The only thing left is to tell you what we want from you. A faint pulsing began inside Glen Tropile. I expected we'd get to that. Why not? We're not sheep. We don't act that way. Quid pro quo. Remember that. It saves time. You've seen the quid. Now we come to the quo. He leaned forward. Tropile, what do you know about the pyramids? Nothing. Handel nodded. Right. They're all around us, and our lives are beggared because of them. And we don't know why. We don't have the least idea what they are. Did you know that one of the sheep was translated in wheeling when you left? Translated? Tropile listened with his mouth open while Handel told him what had happened to Citizen Boyne. So he didn't make the donation after all, Tropile said. Might have been better if he had, said Handel. Still, it gave you a chance to get away. We had heard, never mind how just yet, that Wheeling caught itself a wolf. So we came looking for you. But you were already gone. Tropile said, faintly annoyed, you were very damn near too late. Oh, no, Tropile, Handel assured him. We're never too late. If you didn't have enough guts and integrity to get away from sheep, you're no wolf. Simple as that. But there's this translation. We know it happens, but we don't even know what it is. All we know, people disappear. There's a new sun in the sky every five years or so. Who makes it? The pyramids. How? We don't know that. Sometimes something floats around in the air and we call it an eye. It has something to do with translation, something to do with the pyramids. What? We don't know that. We don't know much about anything, interrupted Tropile, trying to hurry him along. Not about the pyramids, no, Handel shook his head. Hardly anybody has ever seen one, for that matter. Hardly? You mean you have? Oh, yes, there's a pyramid on Mount Everest, you know. It's not just a story, it's true. I've been there, and it's there. At least it was there five years ago, right after the last sun recreation. I guess it hasn't moved. It just sits there. Tropile listened, marveling, to have seen a real pyramid. Almost he had thought of them as legends, contrived to account for such established physical facts as the eyes and translation, as children with a Santa Claus. But this incredible man had seen it. Somebody dropped an H-bomb on it way back, Handel continued. The only thing that happened is that now the North Coal has a crater. You can't move the pyramid. You can't hurt it. But it's alive. It's been there alive for a couple of hundred years. And that's about all we know about the pyramids, right? Right. Handel stood up. Tropile, that's what all this is all about. He gestured around him. Guns, tanks, airplanes, we want to know more. 
We're going to find out more, and then we're going to fight. There was a jarring note, and Tropile caught it, sniffing the air. Somehow, perhaps it was his subadrenals that told him, this very positive, very self-willed man was just the slightest bit unsure of himself. But Handel swept on, and Tropile, for a moment, forgot to be alert. We had a party up Mount Everest five years ago, Handel was saying. We didn't find out a thing. Five years before that, and five years before that every time there's a sun while it is still warm enough to give a party a chance to climb up the sides we send a team up there it's a rough job we give it to the new boys tropile like you there it was he was being invited to attack a pyramid tropile hesitated delicately balanced trying to get the feel of this negotiation this was wolf against wolf it was hard there had to be an advantage there is an advantage Hendel said out loud tropile jumped but then he remembered wolf against wolf Hendel went on what you get out of it is your life in the first place you understand you can't get out now we don't want sheep meddling around and in the second place there's a considerable hope of gain he stared at Tropile with the dreamer's eyes. We don't send parties up there for nothing, you know. We want to get something out of it. What we want is the earth. The earth? It reeked of madness. But this man wasn't mad. Someday, Tropile, it's going to be us against them. Never mind the sheep, they don't count. It's going to be pyramids and wolves. And the pyramids won't win and then it was enough to curdle the blood this man was proposing to fight and against the invulnerable godlike pyramids but he was glowing and the fever was contagious tropile felt his own blood beginning to pound Handel hadn't finished his and then but he didn't have to the and then was obvious and then the world takes up again from the day the wandering planet first came into view and then we go back to our own solar system and an end to the five-year cycle of frost and hunger and then the wolves can rule a world worth ruling it was a meretricious appeal perhaps but it could not be refused tropile was lost he said you can put away the gun Handel. you've signed me up the end of wolfbane Chapter 6